All right. Well, good morning and welcome to Trace. How's everybody doing this morning? We good? Everybody having a good time? All right, well, hey, my name's Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. And if you're, this is your first time with us, man, we are pumped that you've joined us this morning. Seriously, it's an honor for uh, us that you're here. And you could have done a lot of things with your Sunday morning, but you chose to be here. So thank you for choosing to be here. Uh, I also wanna say welcome to those that may be watching online. Thanks for joining this conversation. Uh, guys, we're gonna jump right in this morning because we have a lot to cover. Because today we kick off this new series called Killing Gods. And the reason that we're doing this is because at some point in all of our lives, we've chose to put something, something in front of God. Now, maybe this was done unintentionally. Actually, likely for many of us, this was done unintentionally. But nonetheless, we chose to put you fill in the blank in front of God. It could have been that cute boy that you met in college that caused you to make a compromise. And what's kind of weird right now is that cute boy's still with you. He's sitting right beside you, but he's not so cute anymore, is he? He's... Could have been that coworker that you never should have started that conversation with. Could have been a career choice. And you knew that if you chose this particular career, it wasn't gonna lead you closer to God. It was probably gonna lead you further away from him. But there are also many more simple things that we've put in God's place at times. It could have been an extra hour of sleep. It could have been a football game. It could have been a hobby. I don't know what it was, but at some point in our lives, we would all agree that we've chosen to put something in God's place. We got to be careful with this. And, and, and let me say it this way. Guys, Jesus is either a good idea that makes us feel good about ourselves, or he's actually Lord. And if he's Lord, then he needs to be the leader of our life. And if he's the leader of our life, then it should shape the way that we live. Another way to say this is what you love the most will get the most of you. In other words, whatever gets the most of your time, your energy, your resources, your thoughts, if it's not God himself, that very thing will begin to become a little G God in your life. And we want to kill it. We want to kill it. Ultimately, what we're talking about today is, it's a heart issue. Really, this whole series, it's gonna come down to a heart issue. And this is why the wisest man who ever lived, Solomon, in Proverbs chapter four, verse 23, he said, above all else, guard your heart. For everything that you do comes from it. Now, in the spirit of transparency, I wanna give you a short list of some of the things that I know in the course of my life that I've chosen, whether it was intentionally or unintentionally to put in front of God. Here's the short list. Partying, girls, sleep, sports, my job, my friends, money. I've even put food before God. Now, in my defense, Chick-fil-A is partly to blame for this. I was on my way to a youth event and I was a youth leader many years ago and I knew that on my path was a Chick-fil-A and I was hungry, I didn't have time to get dinner and I could either show up on time as a responsible youth sponsor or I could stop, get a sandwich that would most certainly make me late and I chose the sandwich. But again, in my defense, I think Chick-fil-A puts crack in their chicken, <laughs> right? Can I get an amen? I mean, that stuff is so good. I had one last night, it's delicious. Guys, I'm your pastor, for goodness sakes. Without Jesus, we have no hope here. Hey, say this with me. This is completely random. I want you to say now to him on the count of three. One, two, three. 
the God that we're going to kill today actually stands out from all the rest. He's the sexiest. He can accomplish a lot of things. He's not even bad, but he is the number one false God that is likely to pull your attention away from Jesus. And one of the intriguing things about this particular little G God is what Jesus says about him. Let me set this up. In the beginning of Jesus's ministry, he's only got a couple of disciples with him at this point in time. He doesn't have all 12 with him. He's just started his ministry, but he's noticing that he's starting to get a following. And so he chooses to go up to a, a mountainside, a hillside, and he sits down and he gives what would be equivalent to the State of the Union address from the president. But in this case, we could call it the state of a Christ follower from our Lord. And in this address, he says some of the most profound things that we ever find Jesus saying. And all of this is recorded between Matthew chapter 5 and Matthew chapter 7. Many of you know it as the Sermon on the Mount. Right in the middle of this speech, of this sermon, Jesus drops a bomb. And he says something that we don't ever see him say Again, actually, he does say this exact thing again. I should say it differently. We never see Jesus do what he does with this particular subject with any other subject. So what I want to do is, now that I've set the stage, I I want us all to lean in to a conversation that really comes down to this. And it's possible that some of you might cross your arms in the process, but can I encourage you to lean in? Because anytime Jesus does something with a subject that he doesn't do with any other subject, we should lean in and not lean away. In Matthew chapter six, beginning in verse 19, here's what Jesus says. He says, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal, store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Let me tell you what Jesus is not saying here. He's not saying you can't own stuff. Don't miss this. He's saying your stuff can't own you. I don't know what heavenly treasures look like. It's above my pay grade. But one of the things we gather here is if we'll learn to lay our treasures down here on earth, we actually store more up for ourselves when we get to heaven. I don't know what that looks like. One of the things that I can tell you is I've I've sat with a lot of people on the edge of death. And oftentimes it's on the edge of a hospital bed. And I've watched them take their last breaths and say their last things as they've exited this life. And to this date, I've never heard someone say anything that even resembles this, I wish I would have kept more for myself. Never. I know we've all heard of buyer's remorse. I'm not sure if any of us have heard of giver's remorse. And so if I'm summing up what Jesus says here, he's simply saying, if you're not careful, if we're not careful, what you own can begin to own you. Guard your heart. Jesus continues. Verse 22, your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. 
When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. Now, this is interesting because Jesus just got done talking about worldly wealth and treasures on earth and treasures in heaven. And now he's talking about the eyes Like, is he still on the same subject or has he gone to something different? I would encourage you to process this in the same context in which we just read. Yes, he's still talking about worldly wealth. Let me set it up this way. As parents, we've often said something that sounds like this. Hey, listen to what I say. Now, whether they do or not, it's another story, but... Your heavenly father, think of him as a parent because he says the same thing throughout the gospel. Hey, listen to what I say because I think it's best for you. I actually know it's best for you. And then maybe some of us as, as parents have said, hey, I want you to watch how I do this. Watch what I do. Well, that was one of the beautiful things about having Jesus come to earth. We actually get to watch how he lives and our hope is that we can reflect at least a glimpse of some of that in our own life. But then God, in this particular passage, adds a sentiment as a parent that we probably have never found ourselves saying, and it sounds something like this, I want you to see how I see. Especially when it comes to worldly wealth. Especially when it comes to stuff. Because if you're not careful, what you own can begin to own you. And so God says, hey, come here, come here, come here. I want you to see how I see. Because if you see it the way that I see it, you're going to have more contentment in your life. You're going to have more peace in your life. Things are going to make more sense in your life. And so is Jesus still talking about worldly wealth here? Yeah, and the next thing that he says attributes to that very sentiment. Verse 24, no one, no one, can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Let me talk to a couple of you in here. It's very possible that this is the first time you've landed back in church for a long time and somebody invited you and you're like, crap, I landed in church on the money conversation. Money is actually a very small aspect of what we're talking about today. I'm not going to ask you for a penny, okay? What we're talking about is your heart. And so instead of folding your arms this morning and thinking to yourself, man, I just I got here on the wrong Sunday, my hope is that when you leave here today, you'll say something that maybe you'll be a 180 from that, man, I couldn't have picked a better Sunday. Because when it comes to your heart, it's possible that your heart is in the wrong place. All of us need to take a serious look at this. Because what we just saw Jesus do, we never see him do with any other subject, ever. In all of scripture, we never see Jesus put two things side by side and says, you're going to have to choose one. You're going to have to choose. He doesn't do this with any other Subject And so the way that we'll represent this today, in one camp we have money, and over here is 25 George Washington's $1 bill, the almighty dollar. So over here we have George, and over here, of course, we have Jesus. I don't know if you know the background behind this picture. It's actually really, really cool. I don't know if Jesus actually looks like this, but a little girl in Russia was raised by an atheist family, 
And she kept having these vivid dreams of Jesus, even though her parents never talked to her about him. And she began to draw and paint what she was seeing. She painted this without any formal training at the age of eight. Eight years old. Everybody say on the count of three, now to him. One, two, three. Now to him. So really what we've got is we've got a battle, an epic battle over our heart between George and Jesus. And Jesus does this with only this subject. He says, you're going to have to choose because he knows better than anyone that George is going to be the number one competitor for your heart. Now, something that I need to point out here is the specific word that Jesus chooses when he uses the word money. It's a, it's a Greek word that's only used four times in all of the Bible. Those four times are only used by Jesus. And in this particular case, he uses this word. Now, before I say this, Jesus talks about money a lot. He talks about money more than heaven. He talks about money more than hell. And he talks about money more than salvation. Why? Because it's the number one competitor for your heart. It's the only time he puts two things side by side and he says, choose. But the Greek word that he chose to use in this particular situation actually lets us know this is not about money. This is about the God of money. And so he uses the word mammon. Mammon is the God of materialism. Mammon is the attempt of money to take the place of God in your life. Friends, money is not bad. Money's amoral. We all know this. You can do good things with money. You can do bad things with money. But mammon, the word that Jesus used, is not a good thing. It's a false god. It's the number one false god that you're likely to put in front of God in your life. And I've done it. So ultimately what we're talking about is an epic battle between George and Jesus. For who's going to get your heart? Mammon is after your heart. I think we all get this in the materialistic world that we live in. And arguably, I would say this is the number one tool that Satan uses to pull your attention away from Jesus. Mammon has a way of whispering things to you. In his attempt to replace God in your life, he actually does quite a few, have a quite a few things to offer. And so you might hear Mammon whisper things like this to you. Hey, I'll give you security. I know God says he'll give you joy. I'll give you happiness. I know God says he'll send you his Holy Spirit and give you power. No, no, no. I'll give you real power, worldly power. Mammon comes down and whispers to you and says, hey, I'll, I'll give you position. I'll give you opportunities. Mammon says, I'll give you hope. You don't need God. Mammon even says, I'll give you your identity. In 2008, many of us remember this horrible collapse in our economy known as the great recession and at the point in time at that point in time I lived down in Arizona Arizona was the second worst hit area in the nation and Corey and I were both working at the same church and something very eerie started to happen between probably 2008 and 2010 and what happened is people were coming into our office specifically men and they were coming in and the first time we would see them they would say often they would say this Lost my job. Will you pray for me? Like, yeah, of course, we'll pray for you. We were hearing it left and right. Of course, you knew, you guys know that all this happened when the recession hit. 
And why it became eerie is how much this became an echo and how many times we heard this similar conversation because that person oftentimes came back or they gave us a phone call. And after they lost their job, they came back and said, hey, I lost my house. Will you pray for me? Yeah, we'll pray for you. And then they would come back and they'd say, I lost my wife. And ultimately what happened over that course and during that period is their hearts were exposed for where they really were because once all their stuff was gone, they learned that their heart didn't really belong to Jesus. All their identity was in their stuff. And so once that stuff was taken away, their heart was exposed for where it was, but it did open their eyes to say, you know what, I've been getting this all wrong from the very beginning and many of them made changes. Guys, unfortunately, it often takes a tragedy to open our eyes to see that we've gotten things out of sync, doesn't it? Don't let it take a tragedy in your life or in someone else's life that you know and love before they realize that their heart is in the wrong place. Sometimes we like to think that, oh, well, my heart belongs to Jesus, but I really do love my stuff. It's a little piece of it. It comes over here because we still find our identity in our stuff, don't we? I mean, you, I don't know what it is for you. I, I can think of some things that it's been for me in the past. And we like to think, we'll say, well, Jesus really has my heart, but man, I don't want to live without George. None of us want to live without George because he can offer all those things to us. But friends, we worship a jealous God. And what I mean by that is he doesn't want part of your heart. He wants all of it. That's why he says, you got to choose. You got to choose because you're going to end up hating one and loving the other and you're going to be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't worship both George and Jesus. You just can't do it. Can you imagine if you were getting, when you were getting married, as you took, your ring, took the ring and you were putting it on your spouse's finger, you said, take this ring as a sign of my 80% devotion and commitment. Yeah. If you're going to get married anytime soon, I really would, I wish you would try it just to see what would happen. I think that would be great. So let's start with the butts. And not B-U-T-T-S. We're in church, guys. Come on, what do you think I was talking about? B-U-T-S. And maybe it's people in this room. I hope it's not. I really, really do. But a lot of butts. It's like, but Aaron, Jesus can't pay my bills. George does. But Aaron, Jesus doesn't take care of my kids. George does. Aaron, Jesus doesn't allow me to do all the fun stuff that I want to do. George does. Above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. Whatever you love the most, guys, will get the most of you. Reminds me of a man who loved money more than just about anything in life. And just before he died, he told his wife, now listen, when I die, I want to take all my money and put it in the casket with me. I want to take my money with me to the afterlife. And when he died, she did what she had promised. And so she came over with the money box and put it in the casket. And the undertakers locked the casket down and rolled it away. And her friend watching all this transpire said, I know you weren't fool enough to put all that money in there with your husband. She said, listen, I'm a Christian. 
I can't go back on my word. I promised him that I was going to put that money in that casket with him. She said, you mean to tell me you really put that money in that casket with him? She said, yeah, I sure did. I wrote him a check. On the count of three, everybody say now to him. One, two, three. Friends, when we begin to hold on to George at the expense of Jesus, we make a detrimental transaction. And in that detrimental transaction, by holding on to this too tightly, oftentimes we lose a little bit of integrity and a little bit of character. Several years ago, I was hiking in the edge of the Grand Canyon, and I had put my truck on the edge of this kind of cliff face as we got out to go do our hike, and um, as we were down in there, a flood came. This is actually a really cool story. I'll tell you all the pieces of it later. We had to get helicopter evacuated out of this place, but this flood washed loose a lot of rocks, and so when we came back up to the top, my truck had gotten hit by a boulder that washed off the top of the cliff and it landed on the left uh, rear or the right rear of it and crushed it. And I remember taking it and once the insurance agents uh, came out and did their thing and I'm actually at the place that's going to be doing the repairs for me, uh, he looks at me, this guy, and he says, hey, I see that you're missing a mud flap. I'll just throw that in with the insurance claim. And I almost said yes really wanted to. I'd been missing that stinking mud flap for a long time. But God got my attention. I wish, he, I wish I could say he got my attention sooner than he did, but he got my attention and really helped me to ask myself this question, Aaron, is your integrity and character really going to come at the expense of a mud flap? Friends, when we start to hold on to George too tightly, it does come at the expense oftentimes of our character and integrity. And I just want to cautious, caution all of us to be very careful with how tightly we're holding on to George. And remember, George is not bad. He's not bad. But the God of George is likely to be the number one thing that we are all putting in front of Jesus. So if we want to win the battle against mammon, if we want to kill this false God, what do we do? What do we do? We got to play offense, which leads me to our one thing today. You see, if we're going to kill mammon, we got to learn to be generous with George. And the more quickly you'll learn to release George, the more you'll find that mammon doesn't have control over your heart. Some of you, let's just be honest, okay? Let's have an honest conversation. It's okay. I get that there's tension here. I get that sometimes, oftentimes in marriages, there's some people that want to, or there's one spouse that wants to be generous and the other wants to be a little bit more tight-fisted. I understand the tension that's in this room right now, guys, but if I want to be a good pastor in your life, I can tell you that this guy right here is competing for your heart. And the more that you do this, the more your heart is not going to belong to Christ. But if you learn to do this, the more your heart will begin to belong to Jesus. Let me say this. Many of you have heard me say this. Some of you guys may be new, so you don't know me from Adam. If you think this church is after your money, please don't give us a penny. Don't give us a penny. 
but I still want you to learn to be generous with George because again, as a pastor in your life, I don't want your heart to be over here. I want you to choose correctly. A friend of mine planted a church called the Bridge Fellowship down, the, down Woodman. Uh, you can look up Bridge Fellowship, Colorado Springs. Give it to him. They, they could use some money as they're trying to get a new church started. And I'm gonna call him. I really do hope somebody gives him some money. I really do. We're not after your money. I'm not even after your heart. I'm just trying to get you to put your heart in the right place. Because if you choose correctly in this area and you learn to kill mammon in your life, you might be surprised how much everything else falls into place. Let me use these apples as an illustration of how we can fight off mammon in our life. You see, oftentimes what happens, and the reason why we get this wrong, is because we start with the wrong foundation. I mean, we grow up thinking that everything we have belongs to us, don't we? I mean, it's my stuff. Well, let's pretend that every one of these apples represents all your stuff. It's 10 apples, so 100% of this is yours. But that's where we go wrong. Every single thing you have, 100% of it, belongs to God. Oftentimes we get caught up in the church and we start talking about the tithe. We talk about 10%, 10%, 10%. It's not about 10%. It's about 100%. All of this belongs to God. And where we get this wrong is we start with the wrong foundation because we, we, this is my stuff. And how are we gonna use our stuff? Well, we'll use it however we want to. God actually had a plan. This is interesting. God had a plan to fight mammon in your life you see, these green apples represent 80% of what you have. And God tells us to be good stewards over his stuff. You see the word stewardship a lot. And stewardship simply means you're managing someone else's stuff. And so God says, hey, you should probably invest some. And so maybe you've heard this from financial investors. So this yellow apple could say, this is your investment. 10%, if you can, work towards it. I know some of us are living paycheck to paycheck, right? We want to work against that as fast as we can. And we want to start at least investing 10%. And then God said, in order for you to not allow mammon, to become the person who owns your heart. I want you to set aside 10%, right? And we get so caught up on this 10%, but what if this was actually an offensive weapon that God put in our hands so that mammon wouldn't own our heart? This is not a legalistic thing where it's like, you're being disobedient if you don't give 10% to the church. You're never gonna hear that kind of language here. But what if this was an offensive weapon? Because 10% is just enough for you to have to manage your finances differently, plan ahead, be intentional, and enough for you to say, I'm not going to let mammon own my heart. You know what's interesting? If you go back, my wife and I do this with our kids. Uh, we do these spending jars, or these three jars. One of them is a spending jar, one of them is a savings jar, and one of them is a giving jar. And we're teaching them this concept from a very young age. And friends, I think we'd all agree, when you were little, if somebody gave you a dollar and they said, hey, give a dime of it away. Okay, I'll give a dime. If you got $10 and said, hey, give a dollar of it away, 10%, okay, I'll give a dollar out of $10. Even if you got $100 and somebody said, out of that $100, just give $10 of it away. We really wouldn't have a problem with it. But when we start making $40,000, $50,000, some of you making $100,000 a year, you want me to give $10,000 of my money away? 
Don't tell me what to do with my money. What I could do with an extra... <laughs> I should have practiced this illustration. You know what I can do with an extra $10,000 of my money? You guys know where I'm going. I'm not going to eat anymore. Guys, none of it's ours. None of it is. I'm, I'm going to get in your face a little bit. I shouldn't even be talking about this. It's one of our hopes here at Trace that we'll become the most generous church that any of you have ever experienced because generosity is a direct reflection that our heart's in the right place. Generosity doesn't mean you're giving all your money here. It means you're giving George away. You're not holding on to him. We shouldn't even be talking about this. We should be talking about one of these. But oftentimes, through the process of wanting more stuff, man, we all do this, myself included. We start to give little pieces of our heart away, but Jesus says you can't do it. I want it all. And in order for me to know that I have it all, you're going to have to choose. It's either going to be George or it's going to be Jesus. Don't miss this statement. Please, 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 please don't miss this statement. What you do with what you have determines whose you are. What you do with what you have determines whose you are. In Luke chapter 16, verses 10 through 12, Jesus says this, if you're faithful in little things, you'll be faithful in large ones. But if you're dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches of heaven? I have no idea what that looks like, but I can't wait to see it. And if you're not faithful with other people's things, my stuff, his stuff, why should you be trusted with things of your own? I'm still eating this apple. Interesting enough, right after this, Jesus says the same statement. You cannot worship both God and mammon. I want to switch gears. Let me say that statement one more time. What you do with what you have determines whose you are. When uh, we first started feeling convicted to come up here, to start this church, I debated on saying any of this to you because I don't ever want it to, anything to point to me. I took a 50% pay cut because it wasn't about mammon. Some people would say that's an unrealistic thing to do. Maybe it is. And we came up here and then nearly 30 people from Arizona moved up here, left their jobs, families behind to come up here and be a part of Trace because they believed in the mission and vision of what we thought God was going to do in and through this church. Probably something that sounds unrealistic. When we started this church on September 11th, I had a lot of people, other ministers in the city, uh, tell me that we were the largest church plant this city has seen in decades. Sounds unrealistic. I sat down with a lot of church leaders in the city and told them my hopes, ambitions, and dreams for what we could accomplish in this church plant in a very short period of time. And they looked at me, and one person 
called me an unrealistic leader. And I still to this day don't know if it was an insult or a compliment, but I took it as a compliment. I really did. Friends, we have been a church for less than six months and we've baptized 16 people. Yeah. That sounds unrealistic. And if some of you got my email, you know that God has put something on our plate here recently that could allow us to get our own facility as a church plant that's less than a year old within this year. Now, I got to talk to you about this, and this is a family moment. So if you're new here, just feel free to eavesdrop, okay? So let me talk to the people who call this place home. Um, it's about seven miles away from here. I can't tell you exactly where it is yet because there's some, there's some circumstances around this particular uh, location that I'm not allowed to speak freely of the exact location just yet. But it's about a 10 to 15 minute drive southwest of here. That's what I would tell you. And I'll give you some real numbers. Right now, to be here in Liberty High School for five hours, one day a week, we pay $4,000 a month to be in here for five hours, one day a week. This particular situation and the scenario that's unfolding for us would allow us to actually get in this building for not much more than that, and it would be 24-7 space. It would be our space that we could do 24-7 ministry and student ministry, children's ministry. Guys, that's unrealistic to think that we can do that right now. Now, the reason why I wanted to have this conversation with you before I say this is I don't ever want you to get generous with George so that we could get a building. I don't ever want you to get generous with George so that we can pay bills. I don't ever want you to get generous with George so that we can pay someone's salary. I want you to get generous with George because Jesus owns your heart. Right now, on average, our offering is on average about $18 a person a week. And we did the math and just, I'm just telling you this, okay? I'm just telling you this. If everyone in here was living in poverty, uh, that's what our offering would be if we were being faithful. In order for us to be ready to pull the trigger on this opportunity, and there's even another opportunity that God has shown us here recently, we need to at least be at $25 a person. Don't ever give us a penny unless it comes out of Jesus owning your heart and your desire to be faithful and your willingness to choose George. I'm sorry, Jesus over George. Let me close with this verse. Now to him. Not him. Now to him. It causes 27 people to move up here from Arizona, 16 people to be baptized in less than six months. Oh, by the way, on the second weekend we were here, I asked my team, you know what? I don't want George to be the leader of our life. Would you set aside $500, every single person on our team? And if you were here the second weekend of us being in existence as a church, we gave away to you guys several thousands of dollars to just go give away to somebody else. If you weren't here that weekend, it sucks for you because it was awesome. Now to him, not him, who allows a church plant only six months old to even be able to consider getting in their own 24-7 space. Because if you ask me, God, 
has even greater things in store for this church. Now to him who is able to do incredibly more than what we could ever ask or imagine according to the power that is at work in our heart. Let's pray. Father, I hope, I hope that every single person in this room understood and understands that this is a heart conversation, not a money conversation. And Father, I'm blown away what you're already doing in and through this place and in and through the people in this place. And God, I pray that if you want even greater things to come through us, that our faithfulness would lean more in the direction of Jesus than it does George and ultimately to the point where he owns, you own our entire heart. And Father, if anyone in here thinks that we want a dime from them, God, I remind them of the Bridge Fellowship and encourage them to let go of George in their life, to stop being tight-fisted with George in their life because the more that we hold on to him, the more that we are allowing him to whisper in our ear that he can do any and everything that you can, and we simply know that is not true. God, help us to be open-handed as a church and all that we have, not just with George with our time, with our talents, with everything that you've given us because it's all yours. So Father, take this conversation and do with it what you will. It's in Christ's name I pray, amen.